following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Our reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your living word. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have to say to us and that we would be transformed by it. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said together, amen. How did that moment feel? Some of y'all probably still confused. Um, 
some of y'all were a couple seconds away from pulling your phone and your flashlight. Like, what's going on? Did they pay MLGW for the bill? Or? But the obvious is that physical darkness affects the way we see. I hate to belabor the point. Uh, our brother Mike did a really good job illustrating that with the kids. But it's hard to see yourself in darkness. It's hard to see your immediate surroundings. It's, it's hard to see on the other side of the room in physical darkness. So if physical darkness affects us to that degree, spiritual darkness is much worse. Spiritual darkness, it, it leaves us with no sense of direction. It's, it's very difficult to navigate life walking in spiritual darkness. You can't see yourself rightly. You can't see other people rightly. And most importantly, you can't see God rightly. See, spiritual darkness, we, we, we suppress the truth of God. We reject the truth and as Romans chapter 1 puts it, we exchange the truth about God for a lie. And this is the perfect recipe for destruction. And if you lived any point of time on this earth, you know our world can be filled with darkness. Some of you even remember that time, that, that season, those years when you were walking in spiritual darkness, bumping and stumbling your way along life. There are some of you under the sound of my voice, you're still walking in spiritual darkness. And you don't even know it. That's how serious it is. But apart from Christ, there, there is no, no spiritual life. There is no life apart from Christ. And this spiritual light, you can't manifest it within yourself. You can't, you can't borrow it from someone else. It only comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want us to see our main idea in our text, which is we desperately need Jesus, who is the light of the world, to rescue us from spiritual darkness. Let me repeat that. We desperately need Jesus, who is the light of the world, to rescue us from spiritual darkness. And in our text, we, we find ourselves in John chapter 8. And in this particular context, there's a feast that's going on. And more particular, there's the Feast of Tabernacles. And this Feast of Tabernacles, it was a, it was a, a Jewish custom that they would celebrate and remember the 40-year pilgrimage in the wilderness. I mean, it was singing going on. It was dancing, instruments, good food. I mean, they was kicking it. It was, it was a party. And during this Feast of Tabernacle, there was one particular important ceremony that took place, and it was called the illumination of the temple. And what would happen is they would set up these huge lamps and they would fill them with oil and light them for the seven-day feast. And this symbolic uh, uh, symbol will remind them, remind the Israelites, the Jews, of God's faithful provision for them in the wilderness. 
See, God led them. He, he guided them. He protected them during the day with the pillar of cloud and at night with the pillar of fire. I mean, can you see God is, is setting up this context for this vital moment in Jesus' life? Jesus chose the, the most opportune time to make this declaration. And he said, I'm the light of the world, that whoever will follow me would not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And if the Jews were listening and they heard this proclamation of Jesus, if they knew their Bible, their ears should have been perking up and itching. They would remember the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 2, when he said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Then we move our way into the Psalms when David declared in Psalms chapter 27, verse 1, the Lord is my, my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? But if they remember, if we remember, even John, he bare witness early in chapter 1 about the light. John says, he is the light of the world. Whoever follows him would not walk in darkness, but have everlasting light. Jesus is saying, the light of the world is here, and I am he. Our text doesn't tell us this, but I want to use my imagination when Jesus made this proclamation, the, the music probably stopped. <laughs> the partying and the singing, they say, oh, it was this gas. Like, what did he just say? His words, they weren't received with of applause, with worship and praise. Thank God the light is here among us. No, we see in our text that his word, it sparked the animosity and it heightened the tension between him and the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees' darkened hearts were exposed by Jesus' words about himself. And if we look a little closely, which we will, we will see we have a lot more in common with these Pharisees, that we do have this darkness of our hearts that rejects who Christ is. So with the time we have left, I want to I submit to us three reasons why we need the light of the world. The first reason we see in verses 12 through 19 that we need the light of the world, we need the light to rescue us from our arrogance toward God. Jesus announced this good news about himself. He says, I am the light of the world. And these Pharisees, all the Pharisees, I mean, they didn't waste any time trying to call Jesus out and, and put him on blast. They say, Jesus, you're bearing false witness because you don't have someone to co-sign according to their Old Testament judicial law. You see, the Pharisees, they, they made themselves out to be the judge, and they put Christ on trial to be examined. I mean, just think about that. Think about how arrogant we could be toward God. Christ clearly tells us something about himself. We say, nope, that ain't enough. We need more than your word to go off of. And with our sinful hearts, we, we create these hoops for God to jump through in order to prove himself to us. 
But the reality check is this, brothers and sisters, God ain't jumping through no hoops for anybody to prove himself. Rightfully so. I mean, he is the creator of all things. He is the, the alpha and the omega. He is the king of all kings that ever was, that is, or that ever will be. <laughs> He's the Lord of lords. Yet even still, the darkness in us, the darkness of this world, it consistently challenges the authenticity of Christ. Christ tells us he's love. And he extends that love to us so that we can experience him. But we say with our actions, we, we say with our thoughts, you're a liar. And in turn, we reject that love and we go after cheap loves, counterfeit loves. Christ tells us that he is the solid rock that we could build our life upon. But again, the darkness of our heart leads us to reject that truth. And instead, we want to build our lives on sinking sand. Things that, that weren't created to hold the weight of our lives, our, our identity, our souls. We put so much weight in other people's approval of us. How good of a teacher I am, how, how good of a mom I am. We, we, we put so much weight in chasing the latest trends, health trends, fashion trends, business, financial trends, whatever that's trendy, we going after it. Those things weren't created to hold us up. Christ tells us who he is and he can be trusted. There's always been this ever-present ideology that teaches us that in order for Christ to be genuinely trusted, we must fully understand everything about him. He must be palatable to us. And the unfortunate reality is that there are many people who are walking away from the church who are walking away from the faith because they have come to this conclusion that Christ isn't worth trusting because he doesn't make sense anymore. He doesn't make sense in light of what they thought success looks like. Christ doesn't make sense in light of what justice should look like. I mean, we can scroll in our timeline, we can turn on news channel 3 or channel 13, we can go to certain neighborhoods and, and see the teddy bears and the, the signs because of a homicide, and we began to wonder, okay, there's a king of justice, this Jesus, but it seemed like he executed his justice a little too slow for me. So we give up on Christ. Let me just encourage you something. Let me just have this pastoral moment with you. That wrestling is okay. God can handle your questions. He can handle your, your seasons of skepticism. But I just want to encourage you to wrestle well. I pray that God will bring you a trusted brother or two, or a trusted sister or two that can, that can take some of those questions, that can come alongside of you and be patient with you. And even after all of that, 
sometimes those questions that we have, God doesn't always bring us clear answers. <laughs> and would you be okay with that? Would you be okay with what he has revealed about himself, that that's enough? In our text, it teaches us, it, it warns us of drawing these hard conclusions based on human intellect alone. Because there's so much about Christ that we would never fully understand, humanly speaking. The depths of his personhood, the, the riches of his work, there, there are so many things that we would never understand completely. But the foundational truth that we must trust is that Christ has all authority. He doesn't need man to validate him. As we see, they challenge him for not having a witness to co-sign. Jesus said, nah, my daddy is my witness. And it's the heavenly father who has always been well pleased by his beloved begotten son. Do you see, we desperately need the light to deliver us from our arrogance toward God. But the second reason our text teaches us we need the light is to rescue us from my ignorance of Christ's mission. There's a connection between our previous point, which is this. We can't understand or, or appreciate Christ's mission if we have a, a misinformed view of God. Christ had a specific mission to, to come to our dark world, to be light, to, to give life. And he proclaims this to these Pharisees. They had no idea because it's impossible. Hear me. It's impossible to receive this truth, to, to trust this truth, unless the Holy Spirit illuminated our darkened hearts. So don't just take my word for it. Let's, let's see this clear example. If you still have your copy of God's word. Look at verse 21 with me. Jesus says, I'm going away. You will seek me. You will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. The Jews still didn't understand what Jesus was communicating. Their ignorance was, full, was on full display. So much so, they, they responded sarcastically. They say, will he kill himself? Is that why he say we can't go after him? And when I first read that, I'm going to be honest with you, I ain't know what that means. So it's resources and commentaries that break that thing down. This is what scholars say. They were pridefully and sarcastically saying that Jesus would take his own life. And the Jews viewed that as, as someone who takes their life, they, they will be sent to the lowest part of the dead. So the Pharisees are thinking because they're so pious so holy that they will be so high and Jesus would be so low that he can't be reached. You see how deeply rooted our ignorance can be, our dark, darkened minds can be of the Lord. I remember when AJ was first born and he was probably a month or two old and I was taking him out and running errands and I remember going to the grocery store, and it was pretty common, you know, uh, women, older women would come up to him and, you know, kind of get in his face and 
say, oh, he's so cute. How old is he? I'm like, you know, he's two months old. And uh, i never forget I was at this grocery store, and there was this older lady, and she came up to the basket. And she knelt down, and she whispered. She said, welcome to this miserable world, sweet baby boy. And I was like, thank you, uh, I guess. So I kind of, you know, walked away from the lady. Mind you, AJ is two months old, and I kind of kneeled down. I said, AJ, it ain't that bad, man. Um, I'm glad you're here. You know, she must be having a bad day. I don't. Um, but I, that just always stuck with me, even seven years later. As blunt as that older lady was, it was still some truth to what she said. When you think about Jesus' mission, you think about the reality of our world, yes, it can be miserable. Our world could be very, very dark. And I don't have to overly convince you how dark our world is, but we can't turn a blind eye to the senseless, wicked, mass shootings that's taking the lives of innocent people. It's a dark world, y'all. We can't turn a blind eye to the darkness, seeing the disparities in our educational systems because of systemic injustices. And I know our church is filled with 90% teachers, it seems like, but I, I appreciate y'all in all seriousness. I appreciate the, the mission and the vision that God has placed on your heart to enter into those dark places. We can't turn a blind eye. We can't turn a blind eye to the darkness that has crept this way inside the church. There are wolves in sheep's clothing that have abused people physically, mentally, emotionally, theologically, and sexually. Our world is dark, and it could be overwhelming. I know that lady, she whispered over baby AJ, and she said, welcome to this miserable world. But I don't know if she knew that it was a baby who was born 2,000 years ago to a teenage mama, and she whispered over him that he will come and be the savior of the world. This savior will grow up, and he will spend the last three years of his earthly life going to the darkest places, kneeling down and, and getting his hands dirty. He was restoring people and delivering people and rescuing people from spiritual bondage, from political bondage, from sexual bondage. This Savior, he will wrestle with the darkness of the world. That night before, he will go to the cross. And this battle between the Father saying, Father, if there's another way, would you excuse this cup from me? But not my will be done, but your will be done. And the joy was set before him. He endured the cross and enduring the shame and hostility by the very people that he created. He gave them breath, breath in their lungs and sustained their very life. And they killed the creator of the universe. But that ain't the end of the story. He would die, but three days later, he would rise victoriously. And because of that miraculous resurrection, 
We can have the privilege, the opportunity to become sons and daughters. We can have the opportunity to be cleansed and to be covered in his righteousness. We can have the opportunity to be ever changed by the light of the world. You see, when we trust this light of the world, we go from ignorant, arrogant enemies to faithful followers of Christ. You see, when we trust the light of the world, we have his direction. We have his, his word that says a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. You don't want no other flashlight outside of God's flashlight directing your life. Trust me. When we trust this light of the world, we can experience this freedom that the world don't know about. This freedom that calls us out out of darkness. I know there are some of you who are here, some of you who are probably watching this, you're tempted, you're entertaining to step away, to isolate yourself from God, from the body, because of some sin that you find yourself into. You're tempted to believe a false identity that you're shame, you're useless goods because of some decisions that you made. And I want to encourage you, don't run to the darkness. Don't isolate yourself. But come to the light. Come to the light of the world. This, this, this gentle Savior who says, I'm in the business for, for, for healing you. Slowly but surely, I'm in the business of restoring you, reminding you of your new identity as my son, as my daughter, and ain't nothing going to change that. Not even on our darkest days, y'all, the light still will shine. The Father still will be singing his promises over you. What a beautiful identity. What a, what a beautiful blessing that has bestowed upon us by the Lord himself. Where do you find yourself right now? When you hear the gospel, when you hear the good news of the Father's love, how, what's your initial reaction? Has your life changed in light of that good news? And if not, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from coming to the light? What's stopping you from being healed and transformed? What's stopping you? Come to the light. We need the light to rescue us from our ignorance of Christ's mission. But lastly, our text teaches us that we need the light of the world to rescue us from the ultimate separation from God. In verse 28, Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Christ's glory will be high and lifted up for the whole world will see. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And that will be a glorious day. That will be a glorious day if you have found your trust in the perfect Savior. And he has wrapped you up in his perfect righteousness. That would be a glorious day for you. But on the other side, it would be a horrific day 
for those who have persisted in rebellion, persisted in unbelief, and flat out rejected the light of the world. There's not, there's not going to be time for last-minute Bible studies, last-minute altar calls. There's not going to be enough time to, to clean yourself up. You will bear the weight of the consequences of your sin, and that's going to be a horrific day for you. I don't want to scare nobody into the kingdom. But as God is my witness, I plead with you to be reconciled with God, to repent and to believe. Church, we have a responsibility. Jesus saves us. It's, it's not a, a chance to just coast through life. But he has commissioned us. And let me remind us of our identity, not just small C church downtown, but big C church, universal church, that God has commissioned us to be light in the world. Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 5 of this identity as the church. Let me remind us. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand. And it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father who's in heaven. I, I want to lead us with just a few applications. If you got uh, a pencil, you got your phone, I, I encourage you just to, just to jot these three things down. And these three things, I believe, can help us continue to embody our identity as the light, not the light, not the light, but as a light as God has, has given us. The first is pray. Pray. Pray that the light of the world will illuminate dark hearts. Pray for dark places, dark neighborhoods, dark systems, people. Family members, friends, co-workers, politicians, educators, pray that the light of the world will illuminate and show up in these dark places. Pray. The second, proclaim. Proclaim the good news that there is a Savior who, who came and, and made a way for us to be delivered from the dominion of darkness into his marvelous light. Proclaim. You ain't got to be ordained and a professional uh, ministry worker to know how to share uh, your faith. And if you are, are nervous and you forget what to say, remember these three words. God loves sinners. God loves sinners. I believe that's a the theme of the whole entire Bible. God loves sinners. Proclaim and do it boldly. If he changed you, why not brag upon him to someone else? Proclaim. And lastly, practice. Them three Ps, the alliteration. You know, we got to do it, Sergi. Practice. Practice the good news through our deeds of love and mercy. Prayerfully think about what are some dark places that there may be an opportunity for me to engage? Who are some people 
that I know by, by the fruit of their life probably are living in darkness. We're not coming to judge, but there is enough fruit. Who is somebody I can come and engage and, and to serve, to do acts of kindness and injustice so that when they see our works, they can give glory to our Heavenly Father who's in heaven. I pray for all of us in this room that we will come to the light and be transformed, maybe for the first time, maybe again for the thousandth time. Come to the light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you just didn't leave us in darkness. I thank you that you, you had a plan, that that plan was to pursue us in love. Their plan was to soften our hardened hearts and give light to our darkened hearts so that we may see you for who you are and live in light of you. God, meet us where we are, and I pray for those of us who may be holding on to their light, I mean, to their darkness. May we surrender it because it just leads to destruction. We give our lives to you. It leads to everlasting life. Thank you for loving us first and for enabling us to love you in return with our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Receive the Lord's blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace. Thank <laughs> you.